This episode of the podcast is brought to you by First Gen Fly. Um, it's a clothing company, T-shirts. They make custom T-shirts, and they also have their own line of T-shirts. Go to the site, use the code LAMP20, and get 20% off. Welcome to another episode of Conversations with LAMP. I'm your host, James Lampkin. And my guest today is a software testing engineer, husband, and father, Mr. Dane Hawkins. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, bro. Man, first of all, I, I've always um, seen, like, we've talked, we don't, we never really get a chance to talk in depth, so I was glad that we got a chance to do this, man. I, I always, like, sit back and admire the things you do for, from afar, so from man to man, I respect everything you do. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I, You know, we don't do the things, I, I assume most of that has to do with, the, you know, being respectable with your wife and, and, and family. And I, I noticed the same about you, but you know, it's not something we do for, for notification or anything. So, you know, I, I appreciate that. Definitely. So how did you end up getting into that field? Oh man. So, um, Dwayne Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, as a, as a kid, I did a lot of moving around. So I, I did a lot of, uh, TV watching, because you know when you you move to new places, you don't know anybody. You tend to stay in the house a little bit and watch TV. So I I was a couch potato somewhat as a kid, and I, probably not even probably my favorite show of all time is A Different World. It's probably the most influential TV show, as much influence as TV can have on you that any show had, uh, that any show um, had on me. I, I was always good at math, so when I saw a somewhat nerdy, good at math kid who turned cool or on TV before my eyes when I was 12, 13, impressionable, trying to figure out what life was supposed to be. And he was in college. You know, I sort of looked up to that. So it sort of influenced um, my thoughts on what a good profession would be. And not necessarily a specific type of engineering, but just engineering in general was what he did. So that was one of the first things I looked at when I was looking at college. So how were you when, when this happened? Like when it really started to take take shape and influence you? Oh, literally, like about 12. I, I was I was always uh, strong in school. So, you know, my my mother and the other um, role models and, and authority figures and people that were guiding me in life um, always pushed me towards wanting to, to go to college. They always sort of uh, knew that that was a possibility for me. So, you know, in having that backbone give me confidence that that was the path that I would go into, then I saw somebody that was, you know, sort of like a, a figure that I looked up to on TV. And it sort of guided me in that direction. Now, where'd you grow up? Uh, I was born, uh, okay, I grew up all over the place. Okay. I was, I was born in D.C., Southeast D.C. to be exact. Um, in 79, so, you know, right before the crack epidemic, so we know how that Ooh. lifestyle goes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, went from D.C. with both parents to a single-parent home in the early 80s. That's when we moved to PG. Mm. Then my mother, um, when she became a single parent, I think it was her goal and uh, she, she put forth every effort to make sure that I didn't fall into the wrong elements and into the wrong statistical categories, per okay. se. 
So she continued to move further and further away from Southeast, then to PG, then to Anne Arundel County. I, I went to Crofton Middle School, which is, wow. yeah, it's like for people, <laughs> for people from my area, we, we know that for, that seems like a world away from DC. Man, five worlds. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and then my mother remarried when I was in the ninth grade and we relocated to North Carolina. Oh. So, so when people ask you where you're from, the first thing they always ask is what high school you went to. So right. I used to tell people I'm from DC and they'd be like, well, what high school you went to? And then it's a high school in North Carolina. <laughs> they're thinking of me, like, dude, you're not from DC. But, <laughs> but at this point, I moved back to DC back in 2004. So 30 of my 40 years have been spent in the DC area at this point. So I, I, I still say I'm from the area, even though I've lived a lot of places. I even lived in California and Germany because my father was in the military. Wow. I want to go back because you, you mentioned um, your mom unfortunately became a single parent. How old were you when that happened? Uh, so my mother and my father split up, I think it was right after I turned seven. Oh, yeah, it was, it was, yeah. I'm sure that had a big impact on you. Yeah. Um, it's interesting how somebody's absence can have such a big influence on you. Um, so my mother and my father split and unfortunately I became one of those kids who, although I knew my father, I didn't have my father. He, uh. he became very absentee and you know, uh, it's sad, but I remember growing up back then, and I'm sure you experienced it back then growing up in the same area. At the time, you half the people in our neighborhoods didn't have their father. So mm -hmm. it was commonplace. It was normal. It felt very normal to me because half the dudes I knew was going through the same things. Yeah, um, that's, yeah. yeah. And, you know, my, my mother had me at a, not ridiculously young, but she was early 20. She was 21. So, you know, my mom... I look at it now and think that's a baby. It wasn't a baby to her back then, but you know, I was, she was young. So I had to learn how to grow up pretty quickly. I had a sister that was four years younger than me and we're ridiculously close now, but she'll tell you out of her own mouth that I had to do a lot to help raise her. Mm. So, you know, that, that, that's the type of influence not having my father will have on, had on me making me grow up, you know, pretty quickly and, learn how to do things that a lot of young boys didn't have to necessarily do if you got both parents in the house. So how did, how did you stay or did you stay on the straight and narrow without, you know? Yeah. I, you know, people ask my mother and I, what she did to keep me so straight and narrow and, and clean cut, maybe clean cut isn't the right way to put it, but I never really stepped out of line. And I don't know that I'm typical because I didn't have the, I didn't have that backlash against my mom because, you know, she didn't know how to deal with a boy or anything like that. Honestly, it was just a, a part of who I was, a part of my DNA to want to help and protect and please my mother. And I don't know if it's God that put that spirit on me as a, uh, as a little kid and it just carried me through, but it was just something about who I was. And, and my mother will say the same thing. Like he just always wanted to please me. He didn't make it hard on me. Even as a small kid at three, she'll say, when she hears people's young kids crying, she'll be like, I didn't go through that because 
my son didn't do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, I really, really could not say specifically, oh, my mother did this. I, I just never wanted to make my mother's life harder than it was. And my mother always made our home feel very comfortable, very safe, very normal. It, it's funny that you could be broke or poor. There's a difference. But you could be broke or poor in life. And depending on the way the circumstances are presented to you by your parents or, you know, how they make you feel in your home, you never know it sometimes. And, so and that's explain the difference because some people may not know. So broke, poor is you don't have anything. Broke is you have things you can't afford. Mm. So, <laughs> so, so we weren't necessarily poor, but my mother had to work overtime every week, six days a week to, to maintain the little bit that we had because we really couldn't afford it with one okay. parent and two kids. Okay. Um, you know, my mother, my mother never had a new car and stuff like that. And then she struggled to pay the bills that we had. So I, I, I never said we were poor, but you know, I never missed a meal, but I did have vegetable nights because right. we couldn't afford meat sometimes. Yeah. So, and to me, I didn't, I didn't know why we had vegetable nights. It was a game. Ah, uh, okay. okay. That's, what I, that's what I mean by the perspective that, that you can put on it. Like I said, I, I remember saying to my mother a couple of years ago, like I realized what those vegetable nights were. I thought it, we thought it was a game. Everybody pick your favorite can of vegetables. Vegetable nights a night. Right. You didn't know that meant there was no chicken or ground beef in the fridge. Got you. <laughs> you know? Now you mentioned your mom actually remarried. And you guys, then you started to travel more. Like you, you said you lived in California. I believe you said actually, Germany, right? Actually, the, the traveling was with my biological father. Oh, oh, so, okay. So born in DC, my father had to find a way to support a family because I attended the wedding. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when my mother got married, I attended the wedding. <laughs> so, so he had to find a way to support the family. So he joined the army. Uh. Um, he joined the army. They sent him to Monterey, California. Oh. They sent, and um, so eventually, when we moved to California, that's when my sister was born. Oh, okay, okay. After okay. after my sister was born, we had I think we had probably been there nine months, according to what I've been told. Um, I was four. My sister was born. A couple months later, we moved back to DC. Then did you just you your mommy and all four of us? All, all four. four. Okay. Yeah. Then months later, after that, after my mother, you know, my sister got a little older, we moved. They sent him to Germany. Hmm. So then by the time it was time for me to start school, right before I turned five, we moved back to DC for me to start school. Oh, okay, okay. So do you actually remember these places? So the, I remember bits and pieces of these places, but I have one of those weird memories that I recall crazy stuff. So I, I actually remember the incidents like falling and getting hurt and stuff like that <laughs> at, okay. in all of these places so the, the the little traumatic things but like i said i was four and almost five okay okay pushing four and pushing five i remember i hit a uh, i was with some friends in monterey california we came across a big beehive i got stung and the bees chased me all the way home 
<laughs> Which is hilarious. I know you can laugh. It's all right. Oh, I, I wasn't looking for permission. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I I remember, and I have pictures of Germany. I remember Germany a little more vividly. I remember being in the house with my mother and my mother trying to learn German because we were in a country. My father was at work on the army base all day and we were in an apartment. She had a baby and a four-year-old in an apartment with her by herself all day, every day. She tried to teach herself German so she could speak to people. And she was trying to do that by teaching me. Cause you know, mm. teaching, teaching others reinforces things in yourself. So, oh, okay. Okay. That's a fact. Like you can look it up. It'll, it'll tell you that scientifically. It makes sense. I just never, <laughs> yeah. I never grasped that, but it makes sense. Yeah. So, so my mother, and through all of this, I think this is another part of the reason why I got to that point where I wanted to please my mother, because at times I had to be my mother's best friend in Germany, not being able to talk to anybody, but your four-year-old, she talked to me like an adult. My mother has always talked to me like an adult, even as a child. Wow. So, so it sort of, gave me a different sense of maturity because I talked to her that in the way that she talked to me. Wow. That's interesting. Um, and it also gave me added perspective. I, I, I mentioned to you in a, a conversation that my four-year-old can read. I was reading it for according to my mother. Wow. So I, that's what pushed me to know, yeah, she could do this because if my mother says I did it. <laughs> she could do it. Was it, it going to be the only special one, huh? <laughs> right. I mean, so I, and then, you know, that experiences like that, I actually fell down a, a flight of steps on the back of my head in Germany. I remember waking up in the hospital on a cot because I, I blacked out. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah, it's going to it, be in the book, but it's all right. <laughs> you got a book coming? Not 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 no time soon, but eventually. Really? Well, that's that's the hope and dream. That's the hope and dream. What would, what would the book be about? Well, the the book I'm working on now, or that that book that I just mentioned would just be you know autobiographical excerpts of my life that I think people would find interesting. I currently am writing, have been writing. I think we may have talked about that when you first started the podcast I was telling mm -hmm. you I was thinking about writing um, it's actually something I started writing a long time ago uh, and I stopped writing for a decade and came back to it when I got inspired by my wife who is my biggest cheerleader in the world um, and that is sort of is more cathartic and uh, therapeutic um, but that book is sort of a coming of age story uh, in regards to four characters that mm. I created. And all four characters are sort of loosely based on myself. Okay. Parts of aspects of my personality developed into full characters. And uh, it's also loosely based on things that I've seen, heard, or done myself while going through the college experience and leading to manhood. So why'd you stop writing it? Um, well, I started it when I was in grad school. Okay. And I stopped because as I got past that grad school stage, that college stage of life, the story sort of felt stale as I was, you know, going through new experiences that were beyond what I was writing about in that story. The story became stale to me. Um, I realized now picking it up and writing and now I wasn't ready to get to the ending of the story because oh. I hadn't lived, I hadn't lived enough life to get to the conclusion for the conclusion to have the detail and the, 
genuine feel and the, the, the grasp of real life of coming into this manhood thing that we have had to grow into. Um, wow. But now that I have that, it actually feels a lot. It feels brand new again. I've actually started back from the beginning and rewritten quite a bit of it. I've added about 10 pages and I haven't even gotten to a new chapter yet. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. Do you got an idea when you would like to have it finished? Nah, because it's therapeutic. It's not really something that I'm like in dire need to get out to the public necessarily. When it's done, I will. Okay. And my wife is has promised that you know once it's completed she's going to help me self-publish but it's it's not something that it's like oh man i want to finish this so i can sell it it's not a it's not something that i'm looking to make money off of anything like that it's just like i said it's more therapeutic it's just um to relieve you know thoughts and things that you think about and manifest themselves tend to bubble and boil over inside and rather than doing that I'd rather just put down thoughts and ideas and creative things on paper and get it out that's how I started writing to begin with in college I wanted to talk about college and um, where'd you where'd you go to college I went to the illustrious North Carolina A&T State University okay it's a good school <laughs> it, it, it ain't a good school. It's a great school, bro. Don't okay. down. My apologies. Look, my look. <laughs> At the end of the day, you achieved your degree, so greatness I, came from that school. <laughs> I, I know. I know. You know some Aggies. You know we got pride. <laughs> how'd you How'd you end up making? Was Was Did you choose that school because it's an HBCU or? <laughs> That's a funny story. That actually leads to my stepfather. My stepfather was a a very prison wardish. <laughs> type of uh personality <laughs> he was it, it wasn't it was more of a he was more of a boss than a father okay. and uh, it was he was one of those it's my way or the highway type of people oh okay which which didn't really sit well with a teenage boy who had spent eight years of his life being the only man in the house right 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 um, Shit, yeah so, <laughs> yeah so when when it was time to pick a college um like i said i did pretty well in school as far as grade school. So I got accepted to every school that I applied to. And A&T wasn't my first choice. Uh, I definitely can't lie about that. But my first choice, the cost was considerably more than A&T. Okay. And, and it was a white school. What school is it? North Carolina State. Okay. Um, you know, having not necessarily the tuition, because the state tuition across the board for state-funded schools is the same, but the room and board, the meal plans, all of the ancillary costs that come with going to a college were considerably more, um, like thousands more at NC State than it was at a okay. Well, my mother had already, had always told herself she wanted to be able to put me through school no matter what, because for a lot of my childhood, she thought she'd be doing that by herself. Um, so she wanted to do it by herself, but she couldn't do it by herself for NC State. So okay. my stepfather was all black everything. So he said, <laughs> <laughs> my, my stepfather was like, my money is not going to no white school. I, I, did, I can respect it. I mean, I, I can now. I didn't then okay, because, okay. because we didn't need his help to go to A&T. Ah. Uh. So I didn't need his help to go to the school he was trying to force me to go to. I needed his help to go to the school I wanted to go to. Gotcha, gotcha. So it was like, 
go to the school I want you to go to and I don't have to help you. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it was, it, 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 I felt very forced. Okay. Um, you know, you, I, I have a, a, a good ability to look back on things and realize that regardless of who the messenger was, you know, there was things being orchestrated the proper way. And I am very happy that I went to A&T. As you can tell by the pride I showed when you asked me what school I went to. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, at the time, you couldn't have told me he wasn't the biggest jerk in the world for making me <laughs> go to a school and then he didn't even have to help. <laughs> so did he, I mean, did he help you go there or? Uh, he helped pay for one semester. Okay. Uh, my mother and I paid for the rest. I, I worked the entire time I was in school after my freshman year. Um, and my mother and I, Save to pay for all of undergrad, and then I got loans for grad school. Okay, okay. Which I just paid off, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> man, look, this joke has got everybody in debt, man. man. My God, man, that joke is that joke is a trap, bro. <laughs> so, what was it like? Because so the first your first year, you you didn't you didn't work but you also didn't really want to be there. So at what point did it change where you're like, you know what, I feel good here. I kind of feel like this is where I need to be. My friends, man. Okay. I I, I was a, a pretty reserved, um, played a back, even shy uh, at times kid growing up in grade school and in most of undergrad. And my friends, we, I, I became, I was a loner that became friends with other loners and then developed my way out of being a loner. Okay. Um, and my, my, my two closest friends, uh, they, they really made it home for me. Sophomore year, we, we moved off campus and got an apartment and, you know, we lived in apartments next door to each other and we would walk in and out of each other's apartments like everybody lived in both apartments. So it was just they they became my brothers, like to this day. That's great, man. That's that great. that that really, you know, the the change of perspective, like I said, is it 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 makes you realize what matters. The okay. the school in itself provided a great education. What really mattered and made me happy there was the people that were around me. Now when you when you what was it like working? Because the first year you didn't work. I know that had to be tough because you're a full-time student, I'm sure. Yeah, but for me, it was awkward not working. It was normal to work because I, my first job, I got at 15. And I, and I, other than I think, and even freshman year, I got a job. I just didn't work the whole school year. My mom found out I had a job and was like, no, stop until okay, this okay. summer. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but at 15, I started working. And other than about 10 or 11 months of my life, I've had a job ever since. So it was more awkward not having a job during that first half of first semester and second semester of my freshman year of college than it was to work the last three years. But I'm sure looking back, you're glad that you was able to get that year to get acclimated with college, right? No, nah, not really, because that was my worst year of college. Really? Yes, my freshman year was the worst year of school for me as far as 
how well I did, my GPA, you know, my, my focus. And because I was a kid that didn't have to study in high school to get good grades. And I got to college and college smacked me in the mouth and said, oh, you think you're not going to study? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think my sophomore year, having an apartment, knowing that I had to start paying bills again, because one thing my mother always did was teach me how to be responsible. When I had a job in high school, I had a couple of bills that it was like, okay, you're paying your car insurance, you're paying your phone bill, you're like this, and this was not cell phone, because you know we didn't have cell phones in high school. Right, this, right, was right. Like, this was a no, house phone. I had to pay those bills myself in high school, but that was just a, a matter of, learning how to manage money and pay bills every with every paycheck and understand what that responsibility was like. And that sort of keeps you, for me, it kept me focused and guided and, you know, understanding the value of a dollar and how to manage my time properly to do what I had to do in order to survive. And when I got to college freshman year, it was just free. Just go mm. do whatever and make sure you keep up them good grades you had in high school, even though you don't know how to study. Oh, okay. Okay. You know, it, was, it makes sense. Yeah. So when I when I had to flip back that switch on, it was like, okay, refocus, get it back together. This is, you know, this is the goal. This is where you looking, you know, walk that that straight line that you're supposed to walk to get things done. And my my sophomore and my junior year of college were the best two years because oh, you know your senior year you get senioritis, so <laughs> you start looking at that door, <laughs> but. But them two middle years when I first moved off campus and started working all the time, I, I was focused. So once you finished, what was it like? You know, you, you mentioned being a senior, you completed your degree. So what was it like? What was that moment like when you finally walked across that stage and know you completed this? It was emotional because it it was the culmination of a lot of work between my mother and I getting getting me over a lot of hurdles and you know a lot of it I wasn't even cognizant of at the time but the emotion was still there you know not having your father but still making it mm-hmm. to certain milestones um you know me and my stepfather had a very tumultuous relationship mm-hmm. so you know her still keeping me focused and directed in the right path even though I was struggling with that Right. You know, me helping her to, you know, keep the house running when it was just the three of us, me, her, and my sister. Well, I should say four because my cousin lived with us a lot of the time, too. But, um, you know, it, it, it was, it felt, when I graduated undergrad, it felt like the culmination of a lot of work and a lot of effort and a lot of sweat and tears between, specifically between me and my mother. It's like, I was good. Everybody was there. Even my biological father was there. Um, oh, good. And, yeah. and and you know everything was good until I saw my until I hugged my mother. And then the tears just started flowing. Oh, yeah, it was. That's a lot know. though, because that I mean, you know, i unfortunately I've never experienced what it's like to graduate college. So I always I'm always interested to see like what people felt like when they walked across that stage. Yeah, it could be different for different people depending on your story, man. I know some people just like yeah, it was just another day. <laughs> so it, it's it's all it's all dependent on the story you have, and you know I know people that that are highly successful that never did it. I know people that are not as successful that did do it. So yeah. uh, when you 
Now you once once okay you, you get to college you get your um you get your undergraduate. Did you go into your career? Did did you make your move into your career? Oh, I went straight to grad school. Oh, for for two reasons. One, I knew back then I thought I was gonna bring a Dr. Hawkins to the family. Okay. And I and I knew that if I didn't go straight to grad school, that it was gonna be harder to go back. Definitely. And the other was I didn't have a job. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you don't have a job and nothing lined up like I hoped it would. Um, the, the other option was grad school. And like I said, uh, you know, sometimes he, he sets the path before you and you don't even realize it, but it, 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 it was the right thing for me at the time. What'd you do, what'd you do um, graduate school? In graduate school, I did management information systems. Did you go? Did you stay at um, North Carolina Central, or you went to? Ab, uh, ain't Central. A and T. Yeah, yeah, I, I, absolutely. I stayed at A and T. Okay, good. Okay. Yeah. And then, so you went. So after you, so you completed your master's, right? Yes. Yes. Then is that when you finally decided to start pursuing your career, or? Yeah. That. Well. Yeah. I, started to pursue my career there by it also felt by circumstance actually because i graduated in december lost my job the beginning of january and my lease was up january 30th wow so i graduated and didn't have a job and did not know where i was going to live and i knew i could not move back into my stepfather's house left that you left once you left them reins Terry it was over huh absolutely um yeah that's a that's a whole we could talk yeah, we, we could we could talk a whole podcast about that relationship <laughs> brother <laughs> but and let me let let me not dwell on the bad with my stepfather my stepfather had a purpose in my life and I realize what that purpose is now even though I didn't realize what it was then. Okay. So I, I don't want to paint him in this completely negative picture. He was just a tough man. He was a hard man to get along with. And you know what? To be, and, and, I, and I'm glad you said that because just because there's um, issues with a relationship, it doesn't mean that you don't appreciate what a person does for you. And the fact that, you know, he married your moms and he did, you know, help put a roof over your head. Absolutely. So he helped provide. So if nothing else, he deserves respect just for Ab- that. Absolutely. And I I hadn't mentioned it. He passed away. I wish that I could have a man to man heart to heart conversation with him now about those times and and just just so I could let him know. I'm sorry to hear that. How long ago did he pass? Oh, he passed away. It's been it was oh seven. So it, it's been it's been some time now. It's been about thirteen years now. So you guys didn't you guys never really got to talk? No, we never got that reconciliation moment. We never got the that man to man. When he when he died, excuse me, he died in 06. Okay. Yeah, he died in 06. But yeah, we never we never got that that opportunity to really hash things out and really talk as two men. Right, right. I know what you're saying. Because it's different um, than we talk to somebody as a boy. Yeah. 
exactly exactly and and, you know at 18 when i'm bucking back and talking to him i to this day i still won't say i was completely wrong but there was a better way to handle it and i didn't understand his perspective okay and now and now having gone through more in life i definitely understand his perspective better but back back to where we were going because i jumped off um yeah so i graduated school lost the job was about to have to get out of my place and I knew I couldn't go back to that house living with my stepfather. So I called back up to the DMV, good old DMV, <laughs> to talk to grandma. And she, Betty Louise was like, baby, just come on home. Right. So, so I'm in February, 2004. I moved back, moved to Clinton in my grandparents' house. And, Was you uh, kind of nervous about going back? Did you kind of, because, you know, you invested a lot of time and a lot of energy into this, and it's kind of off to a bumpy start. Were you kind of nervous about where things were headed? Well, absolutely nervous about where things were headed. Not necessarily nervous about moving back to the DMV area. Okay, okay. Um, I mean, taking into account, my father was still up there, and I had, even though I didn't have a real solid relationship with my father he was you know he was an absentee ballot voter but um <laughs> I, all his brothers and sisters my aunts and uncles were all very big parts of my life the grandmother i'm talking about is his mother okay okay he <laughs> you had know, a support system in place. yeah yeah i still I, his family was not distant from me it was just him okay and okay. and and my mother and my father were both born and raised in dc Okay. Both of both of my grandmothers grew up in DC. So all of my family was in the DC area. So okay. I was in so I was in DC all the time. Gotcha. It wasn't like that, that was still home. Even though I lived in North Carolina 10 years, I was always home. Okay. Holidays, summers, uh, you know, anytime I had free spring break, I was always home. I got you. So the, I, that support, the biggest thing that support system was there. So, you know, I, that none of that was foreign to me. It just, I hadn't lived there since I was 14 years old. And, and now, you know, at 14, you move to North Carolina and they say, oh, where are you from? New York? <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then at 24, you move back to D.C. And they'd be like, well, you're not from here. You sound like you're from somewhere down south. But down south still don't think I sound like one of them. So, yeah, so that, that was the only thing is, you know, the people who knew me knew me. Like our okay. mutual friends, our mutual friends all knew me from middle school. So, what, what's the first job you had? In, what's the first job you had that like really launched your career? The first job I had to launch my career, actually, I I take after my mom in the sense that I have had the same job since two thousand four. Well, excuse wow. me, the same career job, the company that I got hired by in 2004 was Lockheed Martin. Okay. Oh, so that's, I have, that's a good company. So I've had different positions within Lockheed Martin. And now the, I'm actually with Lidos because my division of Lockheed Martin went through a merger with another company and changed their name. So I stayed in the same seat and the building, everything in the building changed around me, all the logos and everything changed around me, but I've never left. Ah, okay. So I, I have now at this point, I have 16 years. Wow. This, Congratulations. 16, 16 years, what's today? The 7th? 16 years on the 4th, two, wow. three days ago. 
Congratulations, man. Thank you. When you Thank went in there, I'm going to ask you a question because this is this is something that stuck out to me too. Did you act when you went in there? Did you actually have braids? Did you know? The, the <laughs> nah, nah, I was, nah, I didn't have dreads. I had the I had the clean cup. Um, I, I had you know the, the what they say we have to, especially back in the early two thousands, late the the late nineties, early two thousands, the the look that they say we had to have in order to look professional and and get a yeah, career. Yeah, and that's what I was wondering because you always kept your dreads like neat. And, and maintain, but it's always still been that stigma that come with it. But I, I don't so, know. It's, it seems like it's gotten a little better, but I could be wrong. So here, here is the thing about locks for me. I was always a kid that had hair. I would always grow my hair out, cut it off, grow my hair out, cut it off, grow it back out, cut it off. So I went through the hot top phase. I went through the. <laughs> I was a, I was the last dude to cut off my hot top phase. Straight Bama. <laughs> I was I, I had the braids like the crisscross braids for a little while before I realized I ain't like that. Then you know went back to the regular. Then I had the cornrows in the Iverson era. Then went back to the regular. Then I did the twists, just the the short twists, and they cut that off. And my mother hated all of this. So, <laughs> but but when I got my job with Lockheed Martin, after about a year with Lockheed Martin, I started getting the itch to try locks because I had wanted to try locks previously when I was in grad school, but I kept feeling like if I grew my locks out while I was in grad school, I would not get a job mm. when grad school was ended. So I had that intimidation factor. I actually had cornrows and uh, the girl I was dating at the time, she always did my cornrows. And then I would go to the barbershop like everybody else and get the lineups and everything. So I was having these thoughts about, I want locks, I want locks. I got the hair, I might as well just twist it and get locks. And then succumb to that pressure when I got close to graduation and cut it off. Mm. Especially, I, I think it was right after they told me I was going to be dismissed from my job that I had during grad school. That's when I cut it off, like, because I'm about to be trying to interview and stuff, so I need to go ahead and cut it off. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, my my path into getting my job with Lockheed Martin was a directed path. Like I said, I, I was I was homeless. If not for, you know, my grandmother letting me come stay with her, I was going to be homeless. That If, if you're over 18 and you don't have a, a roof that you're paying for yourself, you're homeless, in my opinion. So, so, <laughs> so uh, you know, I moved up here, no job, no idea of where that job was going to come from. And I went to a career fair. And just being genuinely, gentlemanly to a woman, there, there was a little computer room and this woman that was working at the career fair wanted to use a computer. And it was a bunch of men at computers and nobody would get up to let her use a computer. Not abnormal, but I just noticed it. Okay. And she sort of seemed like she was in a rush in a hurry. She was looking at her watch, looking around, kept walking around, looking to see if anybody was getting up soon. Are you going to be up soon? Stuff like that. And I was next up to get a computer. So when it was my turn, I was like, you know what? You look like you're in a rush. Go ahead. She just wanted to put her time card in. For like at Lockheed Martin, <laughs> she was like, "You know what? You're so nice. I'm gonna see if I can get you an interview. What 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 field are you in? Damn, you know what what area are you in?" I told her. A couple of weeks later, got the interview, got the job. I was sitting in the tank, and I started getting that itch to get my locks again. Oh well, I started to get yeah that the itch that I never fulfilled before to get my locks, and I was like. 
but can I? You know, I got this professional yeah. job. Oh, pardon me. I said I'm sitting in the tank. So the tank is where you sit to wait for clearance. They used to have these buildings that they would put employees that didn't have their clearances yet. Okay. They would put us all in the same room, put us through training exercises and teaching us how to be professional and stuff like that. Got you. Got you. So I'm sitting in this, what they call a waiting clearance center with 250 other people. And everybody's coming to work with, you know, button ups and slacks and until, until we realized that we're not really doing anything. So people got a lot more relaxed and started wearing jeans and, and polos. But, you know, initially we are tight. Most of us out of undergrad or out of grad school. And, you know, the, the older folks, they were chill from the beginning. Then once we got hip, then we, you know, we chilled out a little bit. And then once I realized, okay, I've already been hired. Can they really say something to me now? Yeah. And um, you know my cousin. I know the listeners won't really know my cousin, but my cousin, um, Jonathan, who is a mutual acquaintance of ours, uh, he had locks and was cutting his off. I don't know if you recall, but he he was cutting his off. Mm. And I was telling him I wanted to grow them out. And he, and he was like, man, it's going to be hard if you do that. You have a, you know, you, but they're going to say it worked. You, are, you know, you already started with the clean cut. Da, 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 da. And I decided at that time that I could not live in fear of a label that somebody else was going to put on me. And I thought to myself that one, as long as I have these locks, I'm never going to let them look trashy or not classy, not clean, not kept. And two, they can judge me how they want. I'll prove them wrong. And then whoever comes behind me won't have to prove themselves just because they have locks. Wow. So that's always been something that I've kept with me. And my cousin will vouch for that. Over the years, I've had my locks. It'll be 15 years in June since I've grown my locks. And it's, there are people that have worked with me to this day and I'm a manager now. They put me in a management position, even with these things, as much as they <laughs> look down on the, the, the perception of them. Um, they, that, that there's people that would have never talked to somebody in public that look like me, that will glow, give glowing recommendations of me at work now. And, and, and it actually makes me feel good because I know that somebody's son who grew up like us that wants to have his own self-expression and look like himself and look like a black man may not have to succumb to those pressures because of somebody who worked for me knows better now who will one day be his manager. Right. That's great, man. And I can't let you go without discussing this post you made one day. It was a really powerful post, right? You was talking about, you, you, you posted, you was like, um, your friend was posting like his shoes and something. Uh, and then you posted, you, you was like, man, I, I don't post my interests. But then you was like, wait a minute, I'm, you posting my family and that's my interest. And so, I just thought that was a, I just thought that was a great post. Like it wasn't wordy. It wasn't a lot, but it was to the point. So I had to give you the opportunity to talk about like what your family mean to you and what your, you know, your, your wife, your family, your kids, and what it's just like to be a family man. So, the, the post that you're referring to, it was 
I, I had just added a new friend on IG and it was somebody that I've known for a while. Um, our kids go to preschool together and, and he and I are really cool. We have, we actually realized we had mutual friends after being at the preschool and we see each other at, at functions thrown by the mutual friend. Um, so he and I are really cool. And I know he's a sneaker pimp. He, he, he loves all <laughs> kinds of sneakers. So I, I knew that about him. He, he shows up to pick up his kids in suits with his J's on. So, <laughs> so I had added him months ago. And, you know, he has a, a private page, as do I. And when he finally added me, I did the, you know, the go look at his page. I'm like, man, I thought this dude just like Jordans. He loves all shoes, Air Maxes, Air Force Ones, Yays, Yeezys, like all, he had everything. And it was just picture after picture. And I mean, he had other stuff as well. He had family pictures and stuff as well, but the majority of his pictures were of sneakers. And then I thought about, you know, one of our other mutual friends, he has a travel page. And I thought about a, a homeboy I have that he's always posting pictures of himself smoking cigars. Yeah. Actually, I think, I think that's a mutual acquaintance too. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, some of it, and, and you probably knew some, you could think of some of the people that I was thinking of. And I was like, man, I need to do better with actually showing people what my interests are because I do have other interests. I, I, I have a lot of hobbies, hobbies I've had for life. Um, so I, that thought, it was just like, man, why, why am I being so closed off with my stuff? And I went and I actually looked at my page. I was like, everything on here is just family. And I was like, man, I need to show people what, what I'm into. And then I was like, hold up. That is what you into, dude. That's why right. that's all <laughs> on your page. Like, it's just, it just, it was a brief fleeting moment, but the, the, it, it was something that I was like, that, that's me. And I just felt like sharing. Um, I guess that's the, the pseudo writer in me <laughs> that wanted to share it. Um, and you know, this family thing that goes back to that influence that somebody can have from not being there. Cause you know, one of my biggest fears in life was to be alone. And, um, you know, my, my biological father, he, you know, had a family, then ended up not having kids, not having his kids in his life, not having a wife, being alone and, you know, spent a considerable amount of his life living in his parents' basement. And to me, even though he lived in a house with people, he always seemed so alone. And I always, one of my biggest fears in life was always that I would end up like him, which is why I was probably so driven in some of the stuff that I'm telling you about, like being focused and stuff, even though I was working, because I just, my goal was always to never end up like him, which is funny. I had to go live in that same house with him in 2004 when I moved back up here <laughs> with no job. So I had to, God made me face my biggest fear. But, um, but yeah, so family, having a family has always been important to me because of that, because of that example I had that I did not want to follow. Um, I, I was the weirdo in high school that knew he wanted to be a father at 16. And that was probably the wow, most important. 16? Yeah, bro, I was weird. I, I, I'd lost my mind. I, I realize it now that I was way too young. But, but yeah, I... <laughs> that that's that's who I was, man. I I I spent the majority of my childhood taking care of a younger sister. And and it was always natural for me. Um so that's something I knew I, I wanted to do. I'm naturally a protector. I wanted a family to protect. Um and you know, I was out here walking Penub in all the wrong places. 
So, <laughs> so, so you know, I I, I went I, I went to a black college to be an engineer and find my Whitley. <laughs> so, ah. <laughs> so, you know, that, that, that family, you know, attaining that family, having the, the children, that was always a major goal of mine. You know, you, you would ask high school kids what they want to be when they grew up. I would say engineer, but I would also say a father. I'd probably say a father first. Wow. Um, so it was, it, it was, that's always been a big part of who I am and the lack of that relationship sort of drove me wanting to have that relationship with children of my own because there was something missing in me that I needed to fulfill. So if I couldn't get it fulfilled on the front end, I would fulfill it in the back, on the back end myself. Man, I do, man. I, I, I definitely, again, I said it in the beginning and I'm going to say it again, man, just the few times that we've had the opportunity to interact, man, it's always been pleasant. You're you're a great brother. Um, I, you know, we don't get to talk a lot, but just being around mutual acquaintances, I've always admired and respect everything you're doing and the beautiful family you have, man. And I just wish you, your family, all the best. And I'm I sure appreciate it, man. Even more great things ahead for y'all. I appreciate it. Feeling was mutual as well, brother. Um, I want to take this time to thank everyone who's listened to the podcast. A special thank you to my good friend Crystal Henry who's a sponsor on one of my podcasts she's also been a donor and she helps me out and also a good brother Arneas Clock thank you for helping me out and seeing my vision through thank everyone for listening you all have a great day <laughs>